Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 49. We're actually only going to look at Isaiah 49 verses 1 through 6. People break up this second servant song at different places. Uh, Most folks break it up at verse 6, some at verse 7. Some carried all the way through verse 13, uh, and there's good reasons for all of those different uh, breakdowns, but we're going to just look, I, I sent verse 7 to uh, originally, but we're going to look just actually at the first six verses. So let's give our attention again to the reading of God's holy and inspired word, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. For the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my might is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Most gracious Father, as we look at your word this morning, and as we hear the proclamation from so long ago that one would come who would be a light for the nations, this one to whom we have now been united by faith, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the glory of this gospel and to join him in the mission of being a light to the nations. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, one way to to think about the flow of the Bible, uh, one one kind of analogy that that has come to my mind is if you think about the the sun and all the light that it gives, and it it gives light to the whole earth, and then if you take a magnifying glass, you can can, kind of focus all of that energy down on one spot and and start a fire that, if you're in a big field, will then spread everywhere. That's kind of how the, the, the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament works. You've got all of these promises in the Old Testament, all of these institutions and, and, and all of these festivals and all of these sacrifices and all of these, these prophetic messages, but then they all get focused down into this one point, into Christ. But then from Him, He sets the world on fire with this gospel message that spreads throughout the entire world. Even today, it continues to spread and reach new places and re-reach places that it once had reached. And and it just continues to grow and gather in so that all, as we read in Acts, who are appointed for life, believe. And this passage that we look at here in Isaiah 49 
it is really, that's what it's saying. It, it's telling us that, that all of these promises that God has made, all of this story is going to come to focus in this one servant. But then from him, they're going to be given to the whole world. That's what this is all about. But, but as we journey through this passage, we're going to see that, that there's times of, of struggle and, and there's times of feeling like this is a vain thing that we're doing, that, that, that it's worthless, that, that it hasn't had the effect that it needs. But then we'll see that it will have the right effect, God's appointed effect in his time. So we come back again to this, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Isaiah rarely uses this language, and in, in, in this, it seems a little bit weird to use it in this way here, because it sounds like he's talking about himself. But, but when you look at how Isaiah uses this, listen to me, it's always the Lord speaking. Every time that we find this phrase, this kind of call to pay attention in the book of Isaiah, he's always speaking the words of Yahweh. That's what follows. And this is an important point because it helps us to understand who it is that is speaking in this passage. It helps us understand who it is that the servant of this song is. Because when we go through here, we're going to see there are all of these first-person pronouns. I will do this, and, and I thought this, and, and a lot of them we could rightly apply to Isaiah. When he looks at his ministry and sees that, you know what, Israel didn't repent, it would be easy for us to say, I've labored in vain, and, and see that as being applied to Isaiah. But this statement, listen to me, is always introducing the words of God. And, and so that's how we should read this passage. And so this isn't Isaiah in this song that runs through verse 6 or 7 or 13, depending on where you want to break it. We're going to stop at 6 this morning. This isn't Isaiah being autobiographical. He's not talking about himself. He's giving us the words about the servant, and he's giving them in first person. But notice where he starts. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. If, if you're following the story of the Bible, and if you're into thinking about kind of how it all fits together, which if you hang out here, that's going to rub off on you a little bit at least, this passage should kind of ring some bells. And you should be going, wait a minute. Here comes a child from a woman who's going to save people. And, and you should, she should drive all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and go, oh, here, here God is announcing that he's going to be fulfilling these promises. Of course, it also drives us back to the promises to Abraham and to his seed and the promises of David and his seed. This promised seed that runs all throughout Scripture, what we're being told here, this seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, that's who's in view. That's, that's who Isaiah is, is telling us about. That. That's who's speaking here. This one who was called from the womb and, and who was named by God. And then in verses 2 and 3, he, he gives us some clues about, kind of, uh, about his life. And, and we see in verses 2 and 3 that there's both preparation and kind of protective delay. 
What we see in verses 2 and 3 is that, that God is, in fact, preparing this servant, but he's preparing him for a particular task at a particular time, and he's protecting him until that time comes. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Again, this is a, a metaphor that we see about the word of God. We get to the book of Revelation, and the description that John gives us of Jesus standing before him is with a sword protruding from his mouth. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, Paul tells us in Ephesians. So he's prepared this word. He's made my mouth like a sharp sword. This servant who is going to come, he is going to come and announce truth. He is going to come and announce the true way to God. He is going to be the one who speaks the word like the prophet Moses that the people must listen to. He is going to be one who comes and proclaims God's will for his people. But in the shadow of his hand, he hid me away. He's not coming yet, he says. There's a time for him to come. Until then, God is hiding him away and keeping him protected. Verse 3, he said to me, uh, uh, I'm sorry, rest of verse 2, we'll finish that one. He made me a polished arrow. He has polished me up so that I can fly straight and hit the target and do that for which I was given to do. But in his quiver, he hid me away. See, what we have to understand is that, that God is, is orchestrating all of history for his purposes. He, he didn't just accidentally send Jesus when he sent him. He didn't accidentally send the Israelites into Egypt for a period of time. N none of these things are, are accidents of history. They're all the, the purposeful working of God to bring about his plan. There was a, a specific time in which Jesus was going to be revealed. And that's what we're seeing here. The plan was set in place beforehand, but he wouldn't come until it was his time. And so the people waited. They waited from the promises given to Mary. They waited from the promises given to Abraham. They waited from the promises given to Moses. They waited from the promises given to David. They waited from the time of the promises given through prophet after prophet after prophet until finally Jesus was born. The arrow was taken out of the quiver. The word was, let, was set free from the hand of God that it might have its intended effect in the people of God. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That the time has come for the word of God to break forth into the world. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So here we have this tension again. Is Israel... The nation, is that who the servant is, or, or is there someone specific? And as we said last week, and we'll say this week, and we'll say next week, and we'll say the week after that, there's someone specific. There is Jesus, who is the true Israel, the one who could stand and say, destroy this temple, and I will build it again in three days, because he was the true temple. 
the, the one that the author of Hebrews tells us is the true and better Moses, the better mediator of the better covenant. Here, all of the promises of Israel, all of the hope of the nation, in fact, all of the hope of the world, as we're going to see, is fixated and concentrated on this one servant, Jesus. In him, I will be glorified. That's what Christ came to do. Yes, he came to save his people from their sins, but he did this that God Almighty might be glorified through the redemption of his people. We forget that. I try to remind us, but but we all, myself included, we forget that, that the end of the work of Christ isn't, the ultimate end of the work of Christ isn't our salvation But God's glorification, that's what it's all about. God's name being made much in the world. We see this announced over and over and over throughout the Bible. Remember the story of David and Goliath. I know, I go there all the time. You should know it by now. But remember what the point of all that was. David David said, that, that Israel will know that there is God and that the nations, that the world will know that there is a God in Israel and that he does not save by sword. It was an evangelistic event that was happening when Goliath got slaughtered and the Philistines got slaughtered by David. That, man, that's some exciting evangelism right there. Not necessarily the methods we need to use today, but that's what that was about. Because the nations always needed to be reminded, not just the nations, Israel always needed to be reminded that there was a God in Israel. And at its root, that's what evangelism is. Proclaiming that there is a true and living God who lived and died and rose again, that his people might have life, might be freed from their sins and all for his glory. And that's what he's saying this servant, this true Israel would do. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. I mean, this isn't, if somebody's being presented as the hope of the world, if somebody's being held up as like, oh, this is the one, he's going to save, and this is what he's thinking about the situation. That's not exactly confidence inspiring. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. But we see this in Christ, don't we? We see him look at his disciples and go, you of little faith, how long do I have to deal with you? We see Christ wondering in the garden, if there's another way, let it be so. We, we look and, and we see in the life of Israel and in the life of the church that this is in, indeed at some level an appropriate response, flavored in vain. These people don't want to hear what I have to say. They're not interested in these promises. They're not interested in this message. I tell them and then they turn around and do the exact same thing yet again. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. I've worked and worked and worked. But then we see the antidote to this. Yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense with my God. See, here's what this servant knows. 
What I'm called to do is be obedient to what God has called me to do. I'm not called to secure results. I'm called simply to glorify Him through my obedience of Him. Or to use the catechetical terms. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're called to do. And we trust Him with how that works out. That's what this servant here is wrestling with. I've labored in vain, but... No worries. My right is with the Lord. I I will do what he has called me to do. I will walk according to his ways and I will trust him to bear fruit that he wants born through the ministry of his word. Therefore, it's not vain. Because I'm glorifying my father. Therefore, it's not vain because I'm walking in obedience. See, the vanity of of, of this servant isn't based on the fruitfulness necessarily. The vanity of this servant is based on whether or not he is being faithful. And he is. And it would bear fruit. Now the Lord says, and he then gives us this kind of sideline of who exactly it is that he's talking about when he talks about the Lord. He who formed me from the womb of his servant. And there we go back to to these promises that go all the way back to Genesis 3.15 to bring Jacob back to him. He, He formed me from the womb then to bring his people Israel back to him that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So so this God who has a plan for his people, he is the one who I serve. I am his servant, and his plans of redemption, and his plans of salvation, and all of these things that he is working out, and that he created me for, that's the work I'm doing. So no, I'm not actually laboring in vain. No, I'm not actually giving up my strength for nothingness. I'm giving up my strength to carry out his will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will, may it be done in all the earth. He says, this one whose will I am carrying out, this one whose ways I walk in, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So now we have another answer to why this servant's work isn't vain, why he's not actually spending his strength for nothingness. Because if we look at it from a historical perspective, and this is Paul's point that we'll look at in just a second in Acts 13, Israel was rather stiff-necked. They were rather stubborn when the prophets would show up and talk to them. They didn't really want to have anything to do with these messages. They were quite content and and, and very happy to go and and worship their other gods and make their pagan sacrifices and and do all of these different things. They were quite happy to to, to break the law and to, to... worship God a little bit and worship Moloch a little bit and burn something to Baal a little bit. They were quite happy to do all of that. But God had a plan for something beyond even them. God had a plan for the redemption of a global people, for the redemption of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God had a plan that extended beyond Israel. And this is the second answer 
to the, the servant's plea of, am I working for nothing here? God's answer is no, because my plan extends beyond Israel. And so while they may not at this time be listening to you, know, dear servant, that I'm doing something else through you that is going to include you being a light for all nations. It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob alone. This isn't a slight, just to be very clear, this isn't a slight on Israel that they're not worth the Redeemer. That's not what's going on here. What God is saying is my servant is capable and has been sent not for the purpose of a nation, but for the purpose of the world. That's the goal here. So this isn't a slight on Israel. This is a statement uh, about the grandness of the Messiah. A statement about the grandness of the Savior. To put it in kind of modern day colloquial terms, he, he's overqualified to redeem just a single nation. To put it back in the context of the ancient Near East, God is saying here, oh, no, 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 don't be confused. I'm not the God of just Israel. I'm not just a local deity for these people over here. That's not what's happening. Remember, going back again to David and Goliath, remember what was happening. He wanted Israel to know that there was a God in Israel, and he wanted the world to know that there was a God in Israel. Remember, we go back to the plagues. What was fair? I've never heard of this guy. I've never heard of this Yahweh figure that you're talking about. And Moses' answer is, well, you're about to. The world is going to be introduced to him. That's what, what, what the author of Isaiah, that's what Isaiah is driving at here. There's, there's something bigger than just Israel going on. Because the God that is behind all of it is more than the God of just Israel. He's the God of the world. That's why he introduced him the way he did in verse 5. He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, that Israel might be gathered and honored in the sight of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. This one who forms life, he is the one who is at work. This one, this one who's fulfilling these promises given before Israel was come for a seed of the woman to come and crush the head of the seed of the servant. This one is at work. This one who, who's fulfilling the promises made to Abraham that he would be a blessing to many nations through his seed. This Yahweh is at work. This one who even when he constituted his people Israel made a way for the sojourners to come in and be included. This one is at work. This one whose promised seed will reign forever and to whom, before whom all nations will bow. This one is at work. And not just for Israel, but for the world. Now Paul picks up on this passage. We read it just a minute ago in Acts chapter 13. And, and he makes this passage not just about Jesus, certainly, that's the first point. That's the, the first stop on, the, on this prophetic trip, right? We, we've talked about this before, that, that, that we, when we think about prophecy, we don't need to think about prophecy in terms of a prophecy is made, and then there is a fulfillment of that prophecy. 
It's better to think of it in terms of a rock skipping across the water where we throw the prophecy out there and it touches down at different points in redemptive history until it finally finds its, its fulfillment, its final fulfillment where it seeks, right? I stole that from Dr. Ireland, one of my New Testament professors, and that's what we see happening here. And what's interesting this time around is that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is one of the touch points of the prophecy. The new Jerusalem into which all the tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, that's the final fulfillment of this prophecy. That's where this is going. Jesus is still the fulfillment. But what we see here is that his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is one bounce across the surface on the way to its fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth where people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be gathered in to worship before the true and living God. That's what he's doing. So Paul is right to come to this passage and say to the Jews who didn't want to have anything to do with their gospel and stirred up the leading women to stir up the men to cause problems for Paul, he's right to look at them and say, y'all wouldn't hear it. So he's made us a light to the nations and put himself and the other apostles in the place of the servant. Why? Because they're carrying out the commission for which they were sent. The commission that Jesus gave them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. So we're right to take this passage and apply it to our work as a church. That's not putting us in the place of Christ. That's recognizing the reality of our union with Christ. And that that, that the reality of our union with Christ extends beyond the reality of our salvation. It extends beyond the reality of getting us into heaven. It includes us in his mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So what does that mean for us? We, as the church, as Christ church, Conway, we too are one of those, if we're walking in obedience to the word, we too will be one of those blips of the rock skipping across the surface on its way to this kind of omega fulfillment in the new heavens and new earth. How? By proclaiming the gospel. By spreading this fire. All all the promises and and all the power going back to our our magnifying glass, they've all come to this, this concentrated point in Jesus Christ. And if we if it's done right, what comes out the other end is a is an all consuming fire. But here's what we tend to do to build on this analogy a little bit more. We we tend to to take a leaf and carry it over here on some concrete. This is what, kids, you should do if you're doing this in real life, by the way. just But for our analogy, this is a bad idea. We we carry it over here on concrete where nothing else can burn. And we shine that light down on the leaf, and we move it around, and we go, wow, isn't that light bright? But it can affect nothing around it. Or what we do is we say, you know, we we can start a fire with this. And this is probably more our tendency. If, if I can kick reform people in the shins a little bit, I am proudly reformed. But this is what we tend to do. 
We, we do start a fire with it. We, we let it get off the concrete. We let it more than just the leaf burn. But then we build this perfectly curated fire where every layer is a, a new log cabin of, of only like year-dried year oak. No cheap pine or anything in our fire. Only good oak with no rot. And, and we've gotten the bark off of it, so it, it's, only, it's just going to be this blazingly hot fire that we keep a nice rock wall around so that it can't go anywhere or do anything. And, and, and what we do is we all sit around this fire and warm ourselves and go, isn't that an incredible fire? And it is. It's a, it's a fantastic fire. Sometimes you have to back away from it because it's so hot. You're like, well, if we get too close, we might catch on fire, and then we're going to be catching other people on fire, and that's going to be real bad. But that's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. It's a light for the nations. The gospel, y'all, should be going out from this place. If all we ever do is, is, is gather here as the faithful and, and here, hopefully, you know, good, rich theological sermons and, and sing good, rich theological songs and affirm our faith together, then all we're doing is warming ourselves on this glorious fire that was intended to set the world ablaze. Some level we've got to admit we've not done a great job with that as a church. We've made some runs at it from time to time. This little light of mine, we used to sing as a kid. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. That's what this servant song is about. That Christ was coming, not just for Israel, but for the world. And in his coming in that way, we now, are to be, as Paul said the apostles were, a light to the nations. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's really quite simple. I remember my, my evangelism professor, Elias Medeiros, one of the loudest humans I've ever known. I get it. So loud. He's Brazilian used to preaching in open-air situations, and so just this huge voice. And he would say the way... I mean, this was like an entire semester, supposedly master-level evangelism class. This is what he told us every, every time we came to class. The way you tell the story is you tell the story. That was it. That was his plan for evangelism. You tell the story. Why did he make it so simple? Because it's, the fruitfulness isn't up to us getting the right method. It's not even up to us being able to answer all of a skeptic's questions. It's actually not up to, to being able to overcome any of the excuses that we come up with for not telling the story. The way to tell the story, the way to shine the light is to just tell the story. 
The question we have to ask ourselves, myself included, I'm not trying to just come down on y'all. This is me too. This has been an incredibly convicting week to study this passage. Do we tell the story? Do we tell the story? I get it. We'll post things on Facebook. Right now, or maybe an hour, like a few minutes ago, a a thing went out on on KTHV, Conway Illuminate, that I got to to present the gospel in. And so we can make these, yeah, you tell the story. But but here, and, and I'm not saying that can't be effective. But here's the question. With the people whose lives we're in, our coworkers, our neighbors, our, our lifelong friends. Do we tell the story? With the people that, that, that God brings across our paths to, to have these, these providential conversations, do we tell the story? The people that, that we get to meet that are struggling for hope in life, do we say, hey, There's a story of hope. You should hear it. Because that's what we're called to do. And and, and it doesn't mean that we're all, you know, qualified, called, gifted by the Spirit evangelists. I get that that's a, a special office, but we are all united to Christ. We are all now part of His being the light to the nations. And we do all now live with the promise that if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. And if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. Do we believe that? Are we willing to to go down, are we willing to go down the path as a church and say, maybe, maybe the reason there's still this few here is because in the 14 years that we've been here, while we've dove in deep and drank deeply from the wells of Scripture and learned fantastic theology, maybe we're still us because we haven't actually done that great of a job of sowing seed. We've sowed sparingly, and we've reaped sparingly. Are we willing to hear this call? And and listen, I want to be real clear. I'm not trying to like, you know, guilt trip you into like, oh, we got to grow the church. And like, no, 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 no. I think it's a deeper issue than that. Are we willing to hear this call? And believe what it says. And so bountifully. And see if God doesn't keep his promise. That we might reap bountifully. Not for the sake of growing Christ church. Not for the sake of meeting budget. Though I, I'm more than willing to admit that's an incre- it's, it's an incredible temptation. Every year, about this time, when we're working through budget to be like, okay, we got to get organized, we got to like lead and do all the like things that get people. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. 
This is about God and his providence bringing us to this passage at this time where we're waiting for the second coming of Christ and we're celebrating that and remembering that, oh yeah, the one that we're waiting on was coming to be a light to the nations. Not just a warming fire for the faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's incredibly convicting and comforting all at the same time. Because he has come, Christ has come, your servant has come, Jesus came and and was and is a light to the nations, and so we sit here rejoicing in the light that he has shown into our lives. But we also know that we have often hidden that light under a bushel. We've often looked at people with no hope and not divided ours for them. Father, by the power of your Spirit, would you strengthen us as your people to tell this story? Not for our glory, not for our growth, not for our fame, but that you might be glorified in Israel, your servant, of whom we are a part. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.